Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for another match preview. The games have been coming thick and fast for Newcastle United and they've got Everton on Thursday. As usual, I'm joined by John Gibson. And before we look ahead to Everton, we're going to look back on that 1-0 defeat to Chelsea down at Stamford Bridge. Newcastle robbed by the helping hand of VAR. Uh, they were very unfortunate to lose to Chelsea. It was a very good performance, John, I thought. A refreshing performance to see Newcastle disciplined and organised against a good side and, and showing no fear actually going and giving them a game. Yes, I mean, it was, when I say surprisingly good, because the side we'd put out was very, very different. In the starting eleven. there was no Shelby, no Willick, no Joe Linton, no Fraser, no Sam Maximum, all big, big hitters. We went from a flat-back four to a five. With respect to the guys, we had what are now seen as backup players, Lascelles, Longstaff, Manquillo, Almirin, even Murphy, uh, in the starting level, that's a big, big chunk. And yet the performance we put up and the enthusiasm and the high pressing was absolutely excellent. It, You can see that Howe has got, whoever the personnel is, his team will play a certain way and they all know that way and they all buy into it and they all do it because that was virtually half a team changing and yet the pattern of play didn't change at all. And this against a team that's third top that are champions of Europe and champions of world club football that was it and score in the 89th minute you see the reaction of Tuchel to the goal is you'd think he'd won the world club championship again because it was so unexpected it was so late and it was so relief but I'm still absolutely furious about two major major decisions the referee got wrong and VAR didn't pull him out uh, both the penalty I mean, I don't know what more you've got to do. I mean, Murphy's shirt was taken off his back and you could see it billowing behind him like a parachute um, as, as he tried to get up the byline. Belatedly, a leg went out as well and he went to the ground, no penalty. Um, equally, in my opinion, it could have been a sending off for uh, the guy that scored the winner when he elbowed Big Burn in the face. And when you saw how angry Burn was when he jumped up, he had to be pulled away from going across with a, an accusing finger at the perpetrator. Now, if that guy had got sent off, obviously he wouldn't have been there to score the winner. If they'd played from then on with 10 men, note, note, or we had got the penalty and it was 11 against 11 but our the penalty was scored and we were 1-0. We would have won those, that game under either of those circumstances. Uh, I would have felt aggrieved at the decisions had it ended, note, note. A wonderful point it would have been but we would have deserved more but to lose and lose your record on that sort of controversy with a minute to go Horrendous. Frustrating, isn't it? And oh. yeah, you mentioned those decisions there. But I, I also think it shows how far Newcastle have come under Eddie Howe that we're not talking about a battering off Chelsea. And of we're course. not talking about Newcastle playing poorly. What we are actually talking about is the fine margin of them VAR decisions going the right way. Not Newcastle's way, but the right way. Mm. You know, And then Newcastle would come out at least with a point. And in, in, in previous seasons, that would have just been a kind of a dilute of a bad performance, wouldn't it? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about VAR, but Newcastle have still been thumbed 3-0 and played badly. Here, yeah. it is actually all about VAR, and it is so frustrating. I mean, 
the red card that wasn't. I I mean I think personally it is a red card, but I can I think I can I can give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because he isn't looking at him and you know Mick Richard said where's the intent there? I, I still think it was a red card, um, and you saw the mark left on his face. But for me, that the penalty's just I'm still scratching my head at how that wasn't. He had two bites at him. Oh. Either one was good enough to be a to, to, to award a penalty, and the video assistant referee doesn't give it. Now the referee's actual vision is a little bit blocked. He thinks he wins a corner, so he clearly thinks he gets a. But you know he doesn't. So, I, I, what what is the video assistant referee looking at? Oh, I, I mean uh, the whole thing just left a, a sour taste in the mouth. And um, I can see what you're saying about the sending off, but um, you know the side of his head sort of become like the elephant man. You could see the marks yeah. on it afterwards, and how much intent. There's got to be a foul's a foul, and a sending off is a sending off. And if you almost decapitate somebody with your elbow, there's there's quite easily you can get sent off. And it was interesting to see former referees reporting on it the next day, and they were split. Clattenburg, well, who's a Newcastle yeah. fan, said it wasn't a, a, a sending off. Two or three other referees said, Dermot, it, Dermot, said it was. Dermot Gallery or whatever his name is on Sky, and he said, oh, it's it's, it's more of a, f- a flailing arm. Mm. I mean, I don't know what he thinks a flailing arm is, but that was definitely not a flailing arm. <laughs> no, it it was it was very very poor, and I think he ought to have gone. And I'm not just saying that as a Newcastle fan; I'm saying it quite honestly. It was ironic, wasn't it? You could almost decide it would happen. That one minute from time they score the winner, the guy that could have got sent off scores it, and the bloke who played magnificently and switches off for a second is Byrne, who's then caught out. And, uh, you know, it. I mean, if you're Byrne, if you're Dan Byrne on that bus going home or on the plane, you turn around thinking, you know, am I jinxed? Not only did I not get the red card against me, but I switch off for one mm. second and the guy that did it scores. I mean, the Kai Havertz is obviously the guy we're talking about and it was a it was a beautiful goal, the first oh, touch. His finish was magnificent. Stunning. Shouldn't have been on the pitch, but... One of the the things I, 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 I mean, I don't know if like is the right word, but the way Dan Byrne reacted afterwards, like, again, I think that shows you how far Newcastle have come because he knows they're literally 30 seconds a minute, however long, or five minutes, wasn't it, from picking up a really, really good And he also point. knows it's his mistake, yeah. let's be truthful. But, it, it, it allowed the guy to get away from Yeah, him. no, one of them, but what, I think just the fact he is that devastated, he's punching the floor, Dubravka has to pick him up, and you can see he's, he is, he's absolutely fuming with himself. Whereas in, again, previous seasons, you know, if that if if Chelsea scored that time in the game, they're probably already two goals up anyway. Mm. You know, and the players are just thinking, let's just get that whistle blown and we'll get on the coach and head back. Whereas here, they were in the game, Newcastle. They deserved a point, and I just think again, it just shows you how far they've come. Because that wasn't just—I don't think that was just a frustration at his own mistake. It was a frustration at you know, oh, we're so close to a point here. You know, whereas before, yeah, you know, all right, they've scored again. Oh well, whistles coming. And I think it's just another sign of how far they've come. Yeah, I, I think it is. It, it's still frustrating, isn't it? Oh, and, and Murphy's got every right to, to look at the thing and think, I'd, I'd won a penalty there. What, what are we supposed to do? I mean, the giveaway with a shirt, isn't it? I, I, I think a shirt is often an easy way to determine the penalty because you see it below. If but somebody it, yeah. gets hold of your shirt and you keep running away... You should billows at the back. You can mm. see the hold, and I mean it was quite blatant. Um, 
and not to get the penalty. But hey ho, uh, what is gone is gone. But we said on these podcasts, didn't we, that when Newcastle lose, because at some stage on the law of averages you've got to with all the games that were left. Let it be with dignity, let it be with pride, and let it be with a good performance. And it was. And it was all those things. Uh, so that makes it more acceptable. Uh, it's now how we bounce back from it. Mm. But there, there is a wider point here, isn't there, away from Newcastle, just about VAR. It's just, it's just not working. We've ah. seen in previous games, and Alan Shearer, I assume he must have been doing it for, the, for a US broadcaster, um, was, was yes, speaking was, about this, yes, yeah. yeah, and he was speaking about you know we've seen Frank Lampard get an apology, we've seen the uh, Ars get wiped out for Liverpool. Arguably, that should have been a red card from the from the keeper. And you're looking at it and you're thinking, you know, these systems aren't cheap to have in place. You know, obviously the referee and they were put they were put in to yeah. remedy mistakes, yeah. weren't they? But they're not getting it, and, and I, there's no consistency. And I get it's still a matter of opinion from the guys sitting back in the offices, but. Like you say, they were brought in to stop this debate. We should not be talking here about these decisions because Newcastle should have had the man advantage and they should have had a penalty. And week in, week out, we are seeing teams... Can you, I mean, can you imagine, and we are obviously going to talk about Everton, but let's say Everton, right, go down by by a, by a point at the end of the season and, and they'll look back on that. Man City, yeah. yes. And they'll look yep. back on that. And, and these is, this is why VAR was brought in, to stop these fine margins, to make sure... You go down or you win a trophy based on 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 merit and, and on scoring goals, and yet here we are sitting here saying, "Well, why isn't why isn't?" I mean, Vaux's only got to say the guy working Vaux's only got to say to the referee, "Go and have a look," yeah. because I know once that happens nine times out of ten, the decision's changed, but it doesn't have to be. Referees have gone and had a look and come back and stuck with their decision. It's all VAR's got to say, it is worth you having a second look because... Do you think that's what they're worried about? You know, Do you think they're worried about overruling oh, I, the on-field referee making, making yes, I do. the referees on the field becoming less uh, authoritative? Yeah, I, I think I think they are. Uh, I, I think the, the, the concern that you're, you're going to demean a referee by repeatedly saying... Go and have a look, you lumpy, because you got it wrong, and then put it right. Um, and they don't want to do that too much. But, um, you know, you either go back to the way it was in the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s and just say the referee's human and whatever decision he makes, he makes, or you use technology to get it right, regardless of whether it humiliates in well, quotes or not. I, I the think referee. that's what's making it worse, isn't it? Because before VAR came in, you could be angry at a decision, yeah, but you accept they don't have the benefit of a replay. Of it's in real time, maybe their the vision's blocked. You know, absolutely. What have you. Referee makes mistakes. They do because they're human. You, you go, okay, I'm angry, but I accept that. But here, there is there is no excuse. And again, this isn't just a Newcastle United thing. This is football in general. There is zero excuse for getting these decisions wrong, especially that penalty. The referee goes over and looks at that screen. He sees it. He sees this that the, the shirt being pulled. He sees the defender then come across him and bring him to the floor. It's a penalty. There's no reason he should not be going over that screen, and it is so frustrating. It is. I just, I just don't understand. I just don't no, get it. No, no. And and 
why we're talking about it so much and why we are frustrated is that wasn't just a one-off match. No. This is happening time again. And not just in Newcastle United matches and others, like you said, Everton v Man City, etc., etc., which affected both ends of the table, by the way. Mm. It affected Man City well, at the top and yeah. Everton at the bottom. And what good is an apology going to do to Frank Lampard if they go down oh, by a point, abs- you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, I hope he... He gets another apology on Thursday night over our winner. <laughs> um, let's talk about some of the players that, that came in uh, against Chelsea. We'll start at the back. Like you say, John, they went to five at the back. Lascelles, the captain, came back in. And I felt he was the, he was third in the list behind Cher and Byrne in terms of performances. Cher and Byrne yeah. were heading absolutely everything. Like we said, yes, a momentary lapse from Dan Byrne. But other than that, for me, he was man of the match for me. Cher was just getting in the way of everything. Um, and I didn't. I, I I certainly don't think Marcel's has done enough to. I think it'll go back to a back four against Everton. And I don't think Marcel's has done enough to get into that. I think I think you're absolutely right. Uh, back fours are what Howe prefers. And in any case, when you go to Everton, this is a match, obviously that you can win. So we don't want to waste a player by putting them an, an extra player in the back. Uh, against Chelsea and with the personnel available to us or the lack of personnel, it was understandable. I think you go to a black uh, back four again and you've got... Then there's only, for me, one choice to make, whether it's Kraft or, um, or Manquillo at right back. I think it'll be Manquillo, I won't it, yeah. Yeah, I think Shaw and... Um, Shaw and Byrne pick themselves and so does Target, of yeah. course. And then you've got the three in midfield, two outriders and, and a centre forward so yes I think you've got to go back to that and yes Lascelles misses out again I mean fantastic to be in the position where you are looking and saying well actually that the captain isn't in good enough form to replace the two centre backs that we, that are in the, in the starting 11 uh, we mentioned Mankiw there I thought he came back and had, had, a, had a decent return to the starting 11 my target just is getting better with every single game if they can get that £50 million deal sewn up I don't think you'll find many Newcastle United fans turning their nose up at that. We had Bruno and Sean Longstaff in the middle of the park. Yeah, Joe Willick and John Joe Shelby suffering from illness. Joe Linton missing out again with uh, that, that groin tweak. I thought the pair did actually quite well. I thought for sure. I think for Sean Longstaff, he knows that he's fighting for his Newcastle United future because his contract is up. He'll want to be part of this journey going forward. I think it'll come down to whether. He wants first-team football and can be guaranteed. That's of what course. it'll come down to. Of course. But if he keeps performing when he gets his opportunities like he did on on, on uh, Sunday, wasn't it? He's done himself no no harm in, in, in his battle for a new contract. I thought he did re- really well. And to come in out of the, the, the cold as well, that was his first start since that Watford game. Not easy. Not easy when you've seen Bruno come in. Not easy when you've seen Joe Linton come out of mm-hmm. nowhere. John Joe Shelby pick up his game. Joe Willick starts scoring again. You know, you've got all these elements plus your contract is up. You know, I thought he did. I thought he did, did really well. He did. He did. Uh, there's no question. But he is what he is in the pecking order, and that's the reality of Premier League football. I mean, long term and at Everton, you would want Joe Linton back in that midfield oh, if 100%. he's fit. You would want Willick's goal threat in that midfield 
to support wood because we haven't a huge coal threat all over the park. You would want that back and you would keep Buna in. So as well as Longstaff's done and as well as he might well deserve a contract and both those things are right, you would still want that. And and if you go further forward, in the long term, you would probably want uh, San Maximum wide on one side and Fraser wide on the other and Almirin who again did fine would be out and um, Murphy who's done very well being in for four or five games now would also be out it's called progress it's called tough life and it's called hard love but mm. but it's the way it, it is well, obviously we should find out in any hours pre-match press conference about the fitness of of these players, although sometimes he can be a bit... Uh, we often don't find yeah. out till the team sheet so maybe, now maybe before the game. Um, but I mean, I mean, let's say everyone is fit, fit. and healthy. Are you, are you going with Joe Linton, Bruno and Joe Willock in the middle? Yes, I am. Yeah. Yes, I am. And I'm going with Fraser so out on one side and Maxi on the other. Maxi on the other with Wood at, at centre-forward. Um, if all are fit... Yes, Maxi's not going to work back and it's an away game, but he might win well, the game for you. You've got Murphy there to come in if necessary. We saw that, didn't we, against Chelsea? I mean, look, Miggy had that that great effort. It was safe, didn't really do much else. But what he did do well, I thought, was press. He did press and he tracked back as well. And it's always the risk when you bring someone on like Alan St. Maxim. But the game needed it. The game was there yeah. for that introduction. You And you roll the dice, don't you? You, you have to accept he's not going to put in the same yards uh, coming back as someone like Almiron is, but going forward, he can offer much more. Sadly, didn't come off going forward, and I did feel Newcastle was slightly hit with that decision, but that's the game management. You know, the game was there for the for the taking for Newcastle. If you've got a player like Sam Maximum, as talented as him, you've got to accept the liability that he won't go back. Ginola never went back. Uh, Zaha is very much about going forward. If you've got that sort of player... You've got to say, all right, the rest have got to do the donkey work, if you like, um, to allow him to win the game for us. Um, or you don't go with that sort of player. And um, that's the definition of flair. I mean, if you had managers like Joe Harvey and Robson and Keegan that love flair and said, we must have flair. You had managers like Gordon Lee who disliked Flair and just wanted 11 workhorses and I mean workhorses in a complimentary way yeah. grafters um, and he put out that sort of team I mean Lee would never have had a Ginola, um or a Sam Maximum or a Hatton Ben Arthur if you've got that sort of player you've got to put up with the other side of the coin and you've got to say to the players that are playing behind them look you're going to be like Bez was buying Ginola you're going to be a bit overloaded but this guy could win you the match so that's the way life is and you've got to decide whether to go with that or not and um with Maxi, you've got to decide one way or another. He can win you it and he can excite the crowd, but he'll also not track back. But how, who's got everything? I mean, the days of Manchester United when they, they had uh, Ryan Giggs on one wing and Beckham on the other, and they were superb going forward and they were superb going back, but what a rarity that is mm. to have a player of Ryan Giggs' forward ability who, who's willing to track back as relentlessly as he did. I mean, that was a gift from heaven. It was, certainly. And and on 
Gordon Lee there will just pass our sympathies on to his friends and family. Of course, he Absolutely. passed away earlier this month. Very and, sad and, news. And this, by the way, coming up would have been a very special match for Gordon course, because yeah. Everton was his other big club. Everton and Newcastle were the two big clubs of his managerial career and they're meeting each other. be interesting to see if Everton do anything about mm. that but, or maybe they did fall, I know, before the Wolves game. Yeah, not too sure about that but as we say, we pass our sympathies on Absolutely. to Gordon's friends and family. I just want to talk uh, just quickly about Chris Wood and just get your view on how he did on Sunday. I didn't think he had his best game by any stretch and I, I, get, it, I get it's difficult because you're not going to see a lot of the ball but I just felt every time the ball went into him and he tries Didn't to bring stick. down, it just bounced straight Didn't off stick. him. And you see, it's interesting, Andrew, because what we thought, there's a perfect example you brought Wood up. What we were talking about, Sam Maximum, and you talk about Wood, the, the exact opposite. Sam Maximum, brilliant on the hoof, going forward, terrifies defenders, you're out of your seat, what's going to happen here? Frustrated when he doesn't pick the right pass at the end of it. But... Sometimes the ball ends up in the back of the net. We say his liability, he doesn't track back. He only does offensive work, never defensive work. In a way, Wood's the exact opposite. Wood is a grafter who will... How many times did he drop back and win the ball? I agree it didn't stick. But he won the ball deep because mm. he'd come back and work. He does a lot of unforeseen work, which you could argue is not a centre-forward's work. Get yourself up the other end of the pitch, Mick, and we'll get the ball up to you. Not to, But the great thing, why he is appreciated by Eddie Howe and by the rest of the team, is the work that is often unseen, how he drops back, drops back, puts his body in the way, is, is a big lump for the opposition to have to get round. But that takes something away from up top. Yeah. And... and Therefore, he is the exact opposite of Sam Maximum. Yeah, but, but therefore, when he is in an attacking position on the pitch and the ball comes into him, he has to make sure he controls that ball. And, yep. and, and I mean, there was, I've got a, a couple of stats here. So he was a, he was the target for, for a pass 40 times in that game, but he only managed to receive it 23 times, which was uh, just over 57%, which was the second worst out of everyone who was involved. And he only carried the ball 30 yards in any direction. Martin Dubrovka also carried the ball 30 yards in any direction. <laughs> so they were the bottom two. You expect that from a goalkeeper. I was not going to say, it's a bit different. And, and again, we don't want to, we don't, um, we don't want to criticise Chris Wood too much because, as Gibbo says, he does the work that is, is perhaps unseen. But I do think in games like this where chances are few and far between, you have to make sure when the ball comes to you, and that's why he's been brought in as well as that target man, someone who can bring the ball down with one touch yeah, and right. bring others into yeah, play. Right. And there was but, a, there was more than one example where the, where the ball comes the, into him and it was just bouncing off him. The two things he hasn't got, Andrew, is pace and a touch. Uh, he's about his physicality and he's about his ability in the air. He hasn't got pace and his touch isn't the best. Um, it's... It's one of those, it's very di difficult, isn't it? It's one of those things, when you go out and look at a centre-forward or you go out and look at an attacking player, what do you see? I mean, if you, you and because you won't change them. Sam Maximum isn't going to start chasing back regularly, mind, and Wood isn't going to start scoring a bundle of goals and, and knocking people out the way with a great touch and a, a burst of speed and sticking the ball in the top corner. He isn't going to do that. And neither some Maximum going to do the other as well. You've got to play to their strengths or not play them. 
Um, and it is very frustrating because there's only, to a certain extent, half a, half a player in each of them because yeah. the other half is a weakness. Um, and it, it is of a very different sort. Um, and Newcastle are going to have to put up with the wood thing the way it is. And I think that's why Eddie Howe paid him so many compliments, ironically, saying he didn't care that he didn't score on the day he did score. But the reason he paid him so many compliments is because, A, he's got to stick with him. Who else has he got with Wilson injured? And B, he does do this graft, so give him a boost. The interesting thing's going to be when Wilson's ready to return, of course. You think that's part of the issue, though, when you look at the competition up top? I mean, they have got Dwight Gale. He came on. He must have got the quickest yellow card for a substitute. Yeah. <laughs> it was about success, I mean, wasn't it? You're saying we've got Dwight Gale, but I mean... Well, haven't really, have we? There's no I one mean, pushing wood, is there? And like, no. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, Dwight Gale might feel that he wants to. Yeah. But he's not given the opportunity to, so there's nobody... I mean, when before we got Wood, if we had a centre-forward problem with Wilson out, we sent Maxi down the middle, didn't we? Mm. He, pl- he played see, as I, a false nine. Part of me does still think it would be... I'd be really intrigued to see Dwight Gale coming in and, and, and starting the system that we've seen Newcastle play in, I in, would, in recent weeks. I would, because he's quicker than Wood. Yeah. Um, so is a steamroller. Uh, and... Um, He's more mobile mm. than, than He's not going to win you any headers, is he? And he's no. not going to knock the ball on. But then Chris Wood's doing that, and the headers he's winning, no one's running out of them. Correct. So it's, Correct. it's, it's a little bit pointless. It would be intriguing. Well, I don't think for one second we're going to see it. Oh, no. no. There's absolutely no chance of seeing it. But I know that's a, a, a real thing for Supermac, who knows one or two things about playing centre-forward. Yes. And he, he believes that ironically that Gale would fit in well in the way Newcastle play now. Yeah. Well, he would run the channels a bit yes. more. Yeah, and, and if you say, well, he doesn't score enough goals, Premier League goals as opposed to Championship goals, well, neither does Wood. So, and he might get a couple more than Wood. So there's a theory there to say, wouldn't it be interesting to see how Gale went in that nine position given the whole game mm. and given the bit of encouragement that there's a future there for him because I think Gale is as convinced as we are that there isn't a future here, uh, apart from being like the judge and sitting on the bench. Mm. Um, you know, otherwise he goes. And I, ironic, isn't it? I saw, um, I saw Brucey was linked with buying him in the summer for West Brom, um, where he did great on loan, if you remember. And Brucey never okay. played him at Newcastle United either. I mean, if I was if I was Dwight Gale and I wanted to get away from Newcastle so I could get time, and the manager that wants to buy me, Steve Bruce, who wouldn't play me, I would think, oh. Hey, well, a lot of people said that about Andy Carroll, and he scored two two in their last game, so maybe. I, but but Andy Carroll was already there. But, uh, but you know, I mean, his heart might have sunk when he saw who yeah. the new manager West Brom was. But you know, if Bushy's coming to sign you, do you go? But that's, anyway, that that's that, that, that's a, a question for uh, yeah for a West that's Brom a podcast problem. perhaps. Um, before we get on to to Everton, then I just a quick reminder to please like and follow the podcast and leave us a rating and review. It's totally free to follow the podcast. Just means with every new episode. You'll get a notification to say it's uh, it's there for you to download or listen to. A reminder to watch out on the channel on Saturday where we will finally be releasing uh, Gibbo's top 10 Newcastle United goals. That's 
top 10 goals scored by Newcastle United players, not Gibbo. He hasn't scored 10 goals for Newcastle United <laughs> as much as he would like to. I would love to. <laughs> um, there will be, as I mentioned in previous episodes, a, a form in the podcast notes for you, you to fill out where you can vote for Gibbo's top 10 goals. And, and we want to see if you agree with Gibbo's list. Gibbo will also be producing an article explaining just how difficult it was to pick his top 10, although he won't be revealing the list in that article. You'll have to listen to the episode to um, to uh, to see what the, the list is. And I can also announce that on April the 7th, which is the day before the Wolves game, we'll be holding a live event, uh, live Chronicle Live event at the Tyneside Irish Centre. Proceeds going to the NUFC Fans Food Bank, where we'll have a panel discussing all things Newcastle United. So over the next few days, look out for more details on that, including ticket prices and, like I say, the, uh, the time it'll start which will be about 7 o'clock. But all the details will be in the article over the next few days. We hope you can join us on that one. Um, John, let's talk about Everton then. Uh, they are in an absolute oh, mess, aren't they? Total and utter mess. Absolute chaos. And a lot of neglect behind the scenes at board level and rashly spending money. Um, ironic, isn't it, that we for years didn't have money or Ashley wouldn't release it to spend they come in they throw it about like confetti and got it so that's wrong that's the interesting point is because a lot of Newcastle fans I think looked endlessly on at the money being spent at Everton going oh well, they're, they're really trying to at least in the, in the in the in the transfer windows everyone's going they're really trying to make a hit and trying to break into this top six yep but then clearly the strategy with the managers got it horrendously wrong and the managers carried the can as managers do um, you know, it, the owner is not going to sack himself no. and he's going to sack the manager even though he appointed the manager and sack him quickly if necessary. Everton have become an absolute total disaster. Uh, ironic, isn't it, that they started the season, I think they won four of the first six, yeah. they started the season and were pushing for can they finish in the top seven, etc., etc. Um, and then all of a sudden the wheels come off and um, Rafa, who I believe and said at the time of his appointment, was always doomed when you have a Liverpool legend going into across Stanley Park, into Everton and into Goodison. You have no chance, by the way, absolutely no chance whatsoever with the fans because the minute it turns wrong, the minute you go into a, a, a series of games where you don't get a win, you're dead meat. And uh, but he's been replaced by a superstar name in Frank Lampard, and it's made not one iota of difference uh, to Everton. I mean, and when you when you look, it I mean it, it's incredible. I mean, they the joint third bottom. They're only out of the relegation on on goal difference. They've got twenty two points in twenty six games. That's their worst start. That's their worst return over that period of games ever. For Everton in the top flight. Uh, it's five defeats in six league games for Lampard. Over a 42-day reign, he's had six league games, lost five of them. He only beat Leeds at home, that's the only one he got. And they, this match against Newcastle is so important to him because five of the top six... He's still got to play. He's got to play Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United and West Ham. So 
what he'd be twitching like a fried egg on mm. Thursday night. Um, and I mean, only Watford and Norwich have lost more than than Everton's sixteen. And Amazing. there's only four teams conceded more. One of them's Newcastle, by the way, by one goal. But uh, that's because of what happened at the start of the season, not now. Uh, Jamie Carragher described it as Everton's biggest game in the last 20 years, which I think is totally understandable. Uh, we mentioned in there that the, the runner he managers... He said that with Lee, by the way, as a <laughs> Liverpoolian. I'm sure it's not a secret. I'm, yes, he was. As yeah, a kid, he was an Everton obviously fan. Obviously, Liverpool yes. legend now. Liverpool legend. It's amazing now. when you go through the, the list of managers they've had. So, I mean, obviously, David Moyes was there for a heck of a long time. Yeah, yeah. More than 10 years. So, But after that, you know, Martinez there for uh, just over three years. You then got Koeman there from June 2016 to October 2017. Allardyce, November 2017 to May 2018. Marco Silva, May 18 to December 19. You've then got Angelotti, December 19 to June 2021. Uh, Rafa Benitez, uh, June 2021 to January 2022. Like, it, the turnover is unbelievable. They sound like the rich man's Watford, don't they? Mm. Well, that's, that's <laughs> the thing. Stop changing your mind. It's not going to work. But it, it, what is interesting is that Rafa Benitez um, or people, people close to him warned about the mess in there. You know, it wasn't it wasn't an easy job to go into. Even if you take, Even if you consider the Liverpool angle... Take that away. No manager is going to walk in there because, and no. I think I think what the point was is that you've had all these managers who've brought in these players, different strategies, different approaches to game games, and how does a new manager come in when you've got such a mix of players and approach? It doesn't work. And Frank Lampard is is finding that out now. And um, I mean they've really got to watch out for Burnley, haven't they? They're fortunate that Burnley yeah. have 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 this. They went on a little bit of run of form. They've dropped a little bit. Burnley got what two games in hand on them. Haven't they yet? Well, no, Everton's played poor number of games as well, haven't they? No, a few games. Everton have Everton and Burnley have games in hand over Norwich and Watford. Yes, uh, but games in hand are only an advantage if you win them. That is true. Not, not if you go on and lose them. I mean, to me, and who knows what's going to happen? But to me, Norwich are already down and Watford will probably go with them and then it's either Burnley or Everton for, to be the third yeah. team. No, sorry, you are right. Burnley has played one more game than Everton has. Yes. Um, but I mean, you, you would say Norwich are down. Watford, yes, you would. Watford, you would think, if you were betting, I, I would be one of the yeah, other teams. I do think And it's then Burnley. the third one would be Burnley or Everton. And, I mean, the other amazing thing is is that when Newcastle drew 1-1 with Manchester United on the 27th of December, they were 19th on 11 points. Everton were 15th on 19 points, um, which, is, which is unbelievable. And then when Frank Lampard was appointed at the end of January, uh, Everton were four points ahead of Newcastle with a game in hand. And oh, here yeah. we're sitting with Everton 17th, like you say, 22 points. Newcastle up in 14th on 31. The turnaround has been amazing. And Phenomenal. We're obviously, you know, a lot of that's to be done with Everton's bad run of form, but we'll go back to paying credit to Newcastle United's head coach, Eddie Howe, and his coaching staff for the turnaround here. Of course. And what must be said as well, I think, Andrew, for comparing the two clubs is that we had a very good January, when you think of Dan Byrne and uh, Target and yes. Trippier, if he'd been stayed fit, and Bruno, who's just coming in now. They had a very poor January. I mean, Lampard went for two superstar signings as though they were already a mid-table side and they wanted to knock on to, to get in 
six or seven, uh, Donny Van de Beek and Deli Alley. Now, they look on paper like big signings, mm. but Van de Beek, for me, has just proved why he didn't get the start. Well, shall we talk about what Van de Beek's reason was for reportedly not joining Newcastle? He didn't want to be in a relegation battle. Yes, I know. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Well, can't you get unlucky? Uh, <laughs> Also, by the way, he doesn't look as if he relishes a relegation battle no, he because doesn't. he's not playing like he's going to pull them out of it. All he's done for me is show why he didn't get starts at Manchester United. And Delhi Alley, bless him, looks as if he's lost everything and lost how to play football yeah. and, and his enthusiasm for the game. He looks a shell of the player that was playing so well for England at one time. I, I think back to that. Everton game at Newcastle where Newcastle dominated and, and, and won and it was a fantastic performance by Newcastle and I mentioned on this podcast I was I was shocked at how bad Everton went and Newcastle were good oh but yeah at but the back right. oh yeah Everton were like it, it seems like they were trying to pass the ball out but they weren't confident enough and there was there was a moment the ball was actually in play and we had uh, we had Mina and, and, and Pickford like talking and, and, and gesturing at one another it's like guys I mean the balls, the balls, you know, if I was Lampard, I'd be going absolutely crazy on the touch. And they just didn't seem to know what they wanted to. And I haven't watched a lot of them since. But given the results and form, I imagine it hasn't really improved. And confidence is a big thing. Newcastle and have got Ali, it. Ali, if you remember, come on as a sub and got right. robbed on, yeah. on the, uh, one of our goals. Um, yeah, they, they look... Sh- because on paper, they've got the, they've got the names. Bad side. Yeah. They've got the names. But have you got the stomach? You know, you might have the, you might be a big name, but have you got the stomach I think for it's what's hard going when you're on? That downward spiral, isn't it? And this game here is is there for Newcastle to take. I'm sure Eddie Howe will be going in and saying, you know, Everton are like a, like a wounded animal. Maybe we can't we can't assume this is three points. I think that's the really good approach from Howe. We've said it before as well. Like we, do, I don't imagine he's he's getting ahead of himself in any way. He's taking a game by game and making sure Newcastle are the best they can be. He's not getting, like I say, ahead of himself. And you just look at Everton, and you know, I I do think. Newcastle will win this, and I, I think they're going to go down. I think I think Everton will go down. Well, if they lose this game, and like you, I believe Newcastle will win. Mm. If they lose this game, with those side, those five teams that I've just told Coming you up, that yeah. they've still got to play: Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man U, and West Ham. How many points are they going to get there? I, I I'm certain that Lampard will be saying to his players, "Look." You've got to get three points here. If you don't get three points here, look at what's to come. We've got trouble. They've got to kickstart any resurgence of the club against Newcastle. Uh, I don't think they will. It doesn't matter who the big names are. Um, because you look at Rich Harlison and uh, some of the, the, the names of guys they've got. Um, and we haven't mentioned the one that uh, is fun for all Newcastle United fans, and that is the Macam England goalkeeper between the posts. Who um, I don't know, he, is he six foot? And he, he must have dived about four foot six on one of the goals in the last game. Um, it's going to be interesting the banter between him and the Newcastle fans on Thursday because he takes the bite. There's absolutely no question about that. He takes the bite. And it, it's going to be interesting. But um, I believe the only way Newcastle would not get a result out of this is if Lampard w- has been trying to make this a siege mentality from this week 
and sort of said, everybody's against us, everybody's writing us off, we're doomed, we're big time Charlies, uh, let's go and prove them wrong. And he gets the wounded animal response. That is the only chance they've got. But if we go into the game with the attitude we have had recently, where we are well organised, we're disciplined, we press high, we believe in each other, and we kill off their start to the game, they've got to come out the traps and have a, a dip at Newcastle. If we get tight, really quell that fire, douse it, then only one team wins. I think confidence is a big thing as well, obviously, Newcastle. We, we mentioned there about if they, when this unbeaten run ends, it was important that they didn't lose and totally collapse. And we were talking about terrible performances across the park, as it were, as we said, Newcastle performed really well. And Jacob Murphy said they go into the game, um, you know, confident because yep. they, they, they did play well. And I think that's really important. And you can see when you look at the Everton players and you have to only watch the games or match the day, but you can see they don't look confident, they look disjointed. And the other thing as well is when you watch Frank Lampard in interviews, he really does not look confident. I mean, he said the other day he couldn't have a magic wand. He and, looks depressed. Yeah. Whereas, and the, the comments he made about going on an unbeaten run, I know a lot of your Cast United fans jumped on them and said, oh, Eddie Howe's done that. But we have to remember Eddie Howe took a little while to get things going. You know, he only sure. won one of his first, what was it? 10 or something like that so um you know it, did, it didn't click straight away and maybe in, i mean i'm eddie howe had the the fortune of time i guess frank lampard doesn't quite uh but the things Eddie howe was saying in front of the camera when newcastle were losing games and not picking up points he still came across confident now behind closed doors that might have been a totally different story and that's the skill of a good manager speaking to yeah. the camera you know if you can work with the work with the press that way whereas you look at frank lampard and he just looks he looks down and beaten already, and that will be so important, I think. He does, he does. The The interesting thing is, Newcastle, they go away to Chelsea, and I think, and what's going to happen? Newcastle have never let in more than one goal in any match since Christmas. And, I mean, the defence, which was horrendous in the first half of the season, I mean, it really was frightening, whether we played with a four or a five, the goals just shot into the back of the net, which is why we bought three defenders, of course, in January, mm. in Trippier, Target and Byrne. Um, that's how bad the defence was. But we do not let in goals anymore. To any, We don't leak more than one a game. Now, without tempting fate for this match on, on Thursday, that means you're always in the game. Yeah. If, if you let... If you've got a clean sheet or you're only a goal down, you're always in the game. So if we can get the the tacking part of it right on Thursday night, which is why I'm saying I would like Willock to play, I would like Joe Linton to play, I would like Fraser to play, I would like Sam Maximum to play, if they're all available. If we can get that part of it right and score goals, then we're going to, we will be okay at it. And I, I do believe that we will be okay. Mm. If my memory serves me right, if Newcastle win this, it'll be Eddie Howe's first double over a team. Are you going to correct us on that? I think it would be, wouldn't it? Well, I would think that, would uh, think. considering our start of the season, yeah. how long it took to win our <laughs> first game, I think there's a very good it, chance that that will be, the, be. That that will be the case. Um, yeah. We've talked there about the kind of the mismanagement of Everton. Obviously, we're not inside the club and we don't know the ongoings, but it, that's what it looks like from the outside. They've tried to splash the cash. 
And from Newcastle point of view, I guess it just reaffirms how important those above have to get the transfer windows right. And and, and yeah. January they did. You know, they didn't actually spend as much money as people were thinking. They brought in some really good players. I mean, they get Matt Targa fifteen million. You look at how much Everton spent on on their new left back in January. It was it was over thirty, wasn't it? Something like yeah. that. So, I think it, it, the way Everton have gone about it, the trouble they're in now, it shows how important it is to have a long term plan with a manager like Newcastle have got with Eddie Howe. It shows how you not a panic when results don't go your way. Stop changing managers and to get things right, have a plan in the window and stick with it. And if you've got a long term plan with a manager. That all comes, doesn't what it, it? What it's always been about is the ability to buy well. Not the ability to buy, but the ability to buy well. And when only managers were in charge of that, which in the old days is the way it was, Joe Harvey had a wonderful eye for talent and he bought players from lower down in the leagues like Supermark, like Terry Hibbert from a reserve side, like McDermott from Bury, and... Kevin Keegan may have bought at the top end of the market like Ginola and Ferdinand and maybe, say, Cole and Shearer for a world record fee, but the bought well. Mm. And Newcastle in January, one of the great reassurances for me was that we bought well in January and we bought cleverly in January. Everybody apart from Bruno had Premier League experience so they hit the ground running or had a very good chance of doing that instead of having to grow into the game. Bruno's been able to sit on the side and have a look at what the Premier League's all about by luck or design. Um, and so it has worked a treat. We didn't spend over the odds outside of the possibility of wood and we needed a centre-forward and that was the escape clause, so we did it. Um so we've got to get it right again with time on our side this time, this summer. And that was all done without a director of football and it, as expected of when Dan Ashworth finally does come yep. in, they're going to have a, a, a Premier League experienced director of football, someone with a brilliant track record. So imagine what they can do. Clean slate essentially in the summer if they, if they do survive the drop in Newcastle and then they get a bit more experience. When they in. survive the drop. Um, you know, so the summer's going to be an exciting prospect. And it, it, the point there about Everton was that you know, Rafa Benitez didn't have money to spend when he first came in because of the financial fair play, the threat of that. And it does just reaffirm how important it is. You can have all the money, but if you spend it wrong, down the line, you're going to get yourself in well, bother. E even if you look at their signs in January, without splashing the cash, they went for Donny van der Beek and Deli Alley. And neither have been a success mm. when they needed desperately for anybody to come in in January to be well, a success. And that, I guess that's the other thing. Anyhow, was very, very. Uh, he, he wants to know about the players' character. He wants to know about how they approach games, their lifestyle, and what have you. You know, he wants to know everything about them. And you know, that I think they've, they've signed a good bunch. You know, you look at Dan Byrne. He loves. He's loving life. Kieran Trippier, leader. You know, sure. and you're looking at sure. it, it, the two. I mean, what I think as well about tomorrow night, Andrew, is, you know, we're saying it is absolutely crucial for Everton and it's more crucial for Everton because the third bottom. Mm. Uh, it's only goal difference. The third bottom on points, joint. Uh, so they need this result big time. But in our own way, we are just looking after ourselves, Andrew. And I think we need a result. We don't want back-to-back -back losses after no. having the run we've just had, we don't, however unlucky they are, and if we were unlucky at Everton and lost 1-0, we don't want two back-to-back -back losses to, to sort of make us think, oh dear, 
you know, etc. Because we then go to Spurs when we resume, and we've got a, a, a the final run in a bit tough. Yeah. Um, so we want to get back on the horse. You know, you fall off the horse, even if you're knocked off the horse, and and, and it, it it should never have happened. You want to climb back on as quickly as you can. So I think this game is important to us that we go down there and we don't lose. I yeah. think that's very, very important to Newcastle because then we w we carry on with assurance. 100%. And we'll finish as usual, John. How is the game going to go? We're going to win. Uh, it's just a matter of what the score is going to be. Um, and quite frankly, I don't mind much what the score is going to be as long as there's three points in the, in the bag at the end of it. This is the first time you think you've gone in really confident in, in, into a game this season? No, uh, it's it, it, but it's only recently I've been confident. Uh, I don't think outside of Chelsea, when I said that my uh, my heart said we would draw and my head said we would lose by a single goal, which is what happened. Outside, I thought you might bring that one up. Well, no, but I mean that's how. I mean, <laughs> in the past we've gone to Chelsea and been swamped, mm, um, mm. but before the Chelsea game. I mean, we were for forecasting that they would win at Southampton. It's a, and what a, a, a decent side they can be on, on that day. Um, so I've been confident for a little while during this run, and it's a wonderful feeling. And, and, you know, I'm confident now. In the past, I would be apprehensive and say, well, we're going to Everton, but they need it. And how much, if they really put the pressure on us, how much can we take it? How much will we be up for the fight? Will the holes appear, etc., etc.? I don't believe that anymore. It's wonderful. I have not been confident about Newcastle for ages as much as I have been recently. Um, and that is a, a lovely feeling. And what's interesting, so it'll take, you know, one straight pass from Everton, one shot over the bar or simply one goal from Newcastle to really get that Goodison Park fearful rattled, won't it? And the atmosphere will not be not be good on Thursday night no, if, no, if they go behind um, early or the pressure's on. Oh, they, they can be a little bit like we used to be under uh, Ashley and Bruce. The crowd, which is to their advantage because they've got great support and, and desire and love for the club, can go against them during things that like it is now and we can turn the crowd on them. It's essential that the first quarter of an hour we stay in the game, we douse down the fire on the terraces and any fire that Lampard has managed to temporarily put in the side, kill that off, then we go on and win. Yeah, I think unless VAR decides otherwise, <laughs> of course. Fingers crossed it doesn't. I think Newcastle will win. And we'll finish on two pieces of good news. John, the uh, game against Wolves on Friday the 8th is now sold out, which is fantastic. A good three weeks, uh, more than three weeks ahead of uh, yep. the actual game. So that's fantastic. And away from Newcastle, I thought I'd just mention this because I think it's just a good footballing story. A good story when the world is seemingly falling apart. Christian Eriksen back in the Denmark squad for the first time since suffering that cardiac arrest. And aren't we aren't we well pleased about that? Because he's a nice guy and a unique talent. So um, I, I tell you what, watching him like since he's come back, oh, he's the, he's such a good player, and I mean, you can see he's still got it. I mean, Brentford must get the prayer mat out every night, their manager, to thank God for being given yeah. Eriksen. 
because he can single-handedly kill off any lingering doubts about mm. um, about relegation. And our old centre-forward, Ivan Tony must be a little bit chuffed yeah, to have Ericsson behind him, because he thinks, if I get on my bike, he'll hit me. Absolutely no danger about that. The quality of the passes and what have you. Wonderful. And, uh, well, well, I mean, did you did you see the Brendan Williams moment against, uh, was it against Norwich when... He got a bit angry and then he looked oh, down yes. and he yeah. saw him and he gave him a little bit of... I think, I think that was every Newcastle, every every football fan, you just want to give Ericsson a little so, bit of a hug. did we sign Ericsson in the summer? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I don't think you'll find uh, uh, too many Newcastle United fans turning that one down. But hey, did they need another midfield creative player? It's probably what we don't particularly <laughs> need at the moment. But uh, you would never say no to somebody like Ericsson. And great to see him fit, healthy and back in that Denmark squad and hopefully... Uh, you know the good fortune continues this has been the everything is black and white podcast do remember to like and follow the podcast and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk where we will bring you all the build up to that Everton game on Thursday night including the live blog of the game Eddie Howe's presser as well and much much more thank you for tuning in